suffering from heat, do not get rained on, and we can worship our Father. So we're grateful for that. And we want to continue to love on one another and minister to one another as we have opportunity. And so it is good to be a faith family. Amen? Amen. It is good to be together today. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you. We lift you up. We're so thankful for the privilege we have to be yours, to belong to a family that, that worships you, that is made to worship you forever. And so, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, not be drawn away with, with surface stuff and waste our time, waste our lives. And, Lord, we pray that you get the glory for this day, for what happens today in our lives, that you would change our lives to help us to focus on bringing you glory, to making the presence of Christ in our lives come alive so that everyone would see in us what you look like and your character in us. Father, we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. It is cool being ushered straight into the presence of God with music. We have an opportunity just to worship. It's a little interesting today as we look into the, the prophets. As we go through the Bible from the start to the finish, we come to we come to the place where we hit the time in history where we will look at the prophets. Today we're going to spend our time looking at the picture of prophecy, looking at Christ, our prophet. But in doing that, we're going to be looking mainly at at one prophet in the Old Testament, and that is the prophet Elijah. And so, we will just get a mind, in our minds what's going on here. In the history in, in Israel, remember as we went through the, the time of David and then Solomon, and then everything kind of breaks apart. The divided kingdom. You have, you have Israel as the northern kingdom. And you have Judah as the southern kingdom. They have separate kings. And all throughout their history. Until the point where each of them is overthrown. They are divided. Israel... They went down. They were overthrown in 722 B.C. Jude was overthrown in 587-86 B.C. And so that is the history. And in the time when, when Israel was fallen and Israel and Judah were running away from God and serving other gods, God raises up prophets. And the picture of prophecy really is divine communication.
communication through human mediation. And what that means is God speaking to man through one man. And I'll take you back when we were looking at Moses. Remember when, when Moses and God were, were speaking back and forth and God would they would the people would see God speaking to Moses and they would see his power they would see the the thunder and lightning all of this stuff and the people were afraid of God and they said to Moses you speak to God and tell us what he said because we're afraid he's going to kill us and so Moses was the one that was one of the first obvious prophets. Remember, remember in the beginning, before the fall, there was direct communication with God. Adam and Eve in the garden, direct communication. The fall broke it. Everything changes and a mediator was needed. And so we get to the prophets. Abraham was referred to as a prophet. Moses was the first obvious prophet in Exodus 20. So, we get to this, this point, and I want us to look at, at this whole mindset, this whole thought of a prophet and the pattern of prophecy that, that God would speak to his people through a person. You think about that. God would speak to the people he created through a person that he created. And divine communication through human mediation. And so I want to read and just set up the context here of Elijah. I'm in 1 Kings and I'm going to start in chapter 16, verse 29, and just set up where we are leading into chapter 17 of 1 Kings. So 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, looking at Ahab. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal, and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all of the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Heel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abram. And he set up his gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance 
with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So, as I said before, the leadership in Israel, the leadership in, in Judah, they went up and down in their, their holding to the word of God. But at this point, Ahab, bottom of the barrel. And not only was he a terrible king, he made it even worse by marrying the bottom of the bottom barrel in Jezebel. And of course it was for political gains, but Jezebel, how many of you know somebody by the name Jezebel? Anybody know anybody that named their kid Jezebel? It's been, it's been thousands of years, and people still don't want their kid to be named Jezebel. There's a whole lot of other names people come up with, and I joke all the time because my name is Walter, but nobody will name their kid Jezebel. There's a few other names on that list too, but bottom of the barrel. In, in Philly here, the prophets. What made a prophet a prophet? I want to look at some, some characteristics, I guess. One of the most important things was that the prophets, they walked in the presence of God. They walked in the presence of God. The most important thing in their lives was their personal relationship with God. God would take them apart from everyone else. And he would meet with them face to face or in the cleft of a rock and, and their specific alone time. And God took Elijah away from everyone and everything to teach him trust and dependence on him. And so Elijah the Tishbite, he had this relationship with Ahab that was not so good because Ahab was not a man of God and Elijah was. And so we will get to his life and the things that happened in his life but I want us to look at what made a prophet. They walked in the presence of God. And you think about this, we're going to get to how this applies to you and to me as well, but the most important time in their lives was the time no one else saw. The time no one else saw. Their alone time with God. Their alone time where God took them aside and taught them to trust Him. In this place here, Elijah. In chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. 
So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, what's going on here? God sent Elijah to Ahab to declare the word of the Lord, to tell him there's not going to be any rain, and that was because of Ahab's disobedience and worshiping false gods and leading his people to do the same. And then, quickly after that, the word of the Lord says to Elijah, beat it, get out of there. And why is that? Because Ahab and everybody like Ahab wants him dead. They don't like him because he is the bearer of bad news. And even if you are the bearer of the truth, if it is bad news to those who are against the truth, they too might want you dead. And so at this time where he's away from everybody and everyone, he is alone with God, he learns to trust God. I am not sure how, how a meal tastes prepared by a raven, but it kept him alive and made him trust God's provision for him. And so, this was a very important time in his life, but no one else saw this time. It was just him and God. And so, they walked in the presence of God. The prophets walked in the presence of God, but also they declared the word of the Lord. They would not be a, a very good prophet if they never spoke. And so, he spoke. But when he spoke, Ahab and Jezebel got pretty mad. And so, we see him speak in chapter 17, verse 1, in verse 2, and in following, and I imagine his face would be on a wanted poster in Ahab's palace. He did not gain any friends, but they, the prophets, including Elijah, declared the word of God. They were utterly dependent on God's power. And I want to go to chapter 18. Verse 17. And I want you to hear what's going on. This is an incredible event. And I want to take you through it. Chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Chapter 18, verse... Uh, we'll start in verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab. And told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 
So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Crickets. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. In modern day language, it's on now. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning to noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Can you imagine this scene? Can you imagine the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah? The, there are 850 of them against one. And it's on. It's public. Everybody's watching. Everybody has taken notice of what's going on. And this is it. There's no sleight of hand. There's no editing of the camera. There is a dead cow here, a dead cow there. And everybody is hoping that their God, Baal is, is the, the God of rain. Baal is the God of, of prolific. The God that is supposed to make it rain. The God that is supposed to make everything live. And here it is. Somebody's getting called out. And like a gentleman, Elijah says, you go first. You prepare it. And so they begun, began to call out to their God. And so they're praying to Baal. And so... I want to say something that sounds horrible, but stick with me. The power of prayer is useless. It is the one you are praying to that is powerful. Amen. Right. 
Muslims pray. Hindus pray. Baal worshippers pray. Congress prays. It is not the words. It is not the specific prayer, but to whom we pray that has power. And so, then we get to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stone, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sayas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. And also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Amen? Amen. What a showdown. This was, in your face, the power of God. And while the power of prayer is useless, the power of people who connect with Almighty God is unstoppable. And so, prophets declare the word of God. And, and so they were utterly dependent on His power, and they were utterly devoted to His mission. And they took great risks. They took God-sized risks. 850 verses 1. I believe it is only the power of God that allowed them to be civil. Only the power of God got Ahab to arrange the people and call them all together. Only God. Imagine 850 to 1 when he is taunting them. Maybe your guy is a few. There are other translations of Scripture that says... Maybe he is indisposed. Maybe your God is in the restroom. And 850 being taunted, they're being there slashing themselves and praying to their God, and nothing's happening. And then this one is saying, maybe you should speak louder. God's power caused Elijah to stay alive in this time.
God's power brought down the fight. He brought it down at the time of the sacrifice in the faces of the people. And I believe the prophets, they took God-sized risks. They had God-sized rewards, God-sized results. God-sized results. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Wonder how the media would portray these events. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Can you picture that? Not just a holy man that is wearing a cloak and a belt and he had to tuck it in, kind of like tucking a dress into a poorly designed belt around your waist. But then he outran him going in a chariot all the way to Jezreel. This is the power of God at work. God is doing a big deal. And then we see the prophet also. The prophet's getting <clears throat> to glimpse the glory of God. Chapter 19 says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came <clears throat> to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And so, here, he watches God work. But also, 
he's experiencing grace that he did not deserve. He's running from God. Do you hear a little bit of Jonah in here? Mm -hmm. At this little snippet, he runs from God. He hides under a, a something God calls to grow, and he wants to die. Just after seeing God do some amazing work. And God gave him grace. And that he trusted the promise of God. And just a little bit forward to the right, Second Kings chapter 2. It's about Elijah's time to go. His life is getting to the end. And he knew that he was getting ready to be taken up. Now, not many people get to go to God in a whirlwind and even know that it's coming. But in 2 Kings chapter 2, Verse 1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And, and then in verse 11 of chapter 2, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. I want to say something about this. These guys, they trusted the promise of God and they knew that this world was not their home. They were living for another world. And they lived and died looking forward. And so we turn our eyes to another who is prophet and that is Christ. He is the pinnacle of prophecy. He is prophet, priest, and king. And I want you to hear, if I can find my mark, here it is. In Hebrews, Hebrews 1 says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he has made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so this is Jesus, the prophet. But also, Jesus is our mediator. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God 
and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. And so Jesus is the presence of God. You know, where they walked in the presence of God, Jesus is the presence of God. And the most important thing in our life is our personal relationship with Jesus. Right now and always, the most important thing in our life right now is our personal relationship with Christ. And think about it, the most important time in your life is the time that no one else sees. The time where we are alone with Christ. And I think it's important for us to find our commitment, and, and not just that, but, but our contentment in communion with God. And when I say that, here's what I mean. There are a lot of people who live to please other people. To please your boss, your parents, your neighbor, or that, that fictional, mythical person who are the Joneses, right? Keeping up with the Joneses or your neighbor. Whoever is watching you on social media... Or person other than Christ, you are going to waste your life. And so, prophets found their contentment in God. And yet, oftentimes, we find our contentment and our happiness in trash, in garbage. And God has made us for so much more. And we see Jesus as the presence of God. Jesus is the Word of God. John 1, 1. You know, He doesn't speak for God. He speaks as God. He is God. And as God, He gives us a job to do, a mission to complete. He's given us the power to proclaim His Word. He's given us a mission to multiply His Word. He's the Word of God. He's the glory of God. And because of His glory, we have received this, this undeserved grace, this unimaginable glory that we get to behold in God. And we see this promise that he offers us, and we know that this world is not our home. And we look forward. We live looking forward. Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and following. says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, all who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. How I want to encourage you today is that we may not 
meet Jesus when he produces curb service for us in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire. However, what I just read to you is not so shabby. We are going to meet the Lord in the air. First, those who died in Christ, and then those who are in Christ and alive. And I want you to be encouraged with this. It is not a very encouraging time in the life of our country right now. We have a virus. You know, the coronavirus is a, is a big deal. It's depressing. It's taking life. We have rampant racism taking life. We live at very serious times. And a hundred years ago, if I said these things, people would look at me like I was a bug-eyed idiot. But we're at a time where there's talks about an implanted chip that would go into people's bodies in order to buy and sell. You know, there's things in Scripture about that. But earlier in my life, I thought, no way, no way could this stuff happen. Now, is this a sign of the times, a sign that the end is coming? I don't know. But I know this. I know that in our society right now, and the things that we are seeing, it would be no surprise who is going to be killed this week. Will it be black people? Will it be white people? Will it be Christians? Listen, I believe it is important for us not to lose our focus. Our call is to make disciples of everyone. And we do not get the privilege and do not have the authority to say who we will share the gospel with. When Christ has told us, to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And so let us be warned. Let us be wise to keep our eyes, our minds, our hearts, and our feet set on obeying him. And, and specifically in Gates County, this, according to the 2010 census, 12,197 people. And there's, there's later numbers that where it has gone down a bit. And the, the demographics racially, 63.7% white, 33.2% black, and then a couple people from every other country on the planet sprinkled in there. God has called us to go to the world, including our own. And so I want to make it very clear that we need to be careful that we are not white church. We are not black church. We're the church. Amen. 
And so we should have a problem. And in what I've seen growing up Baptist 48.8 years now is that there has been black Baptist church and white Baptist church. And, and so the best that it seemed we could do is that have a really good white Baptist church and have a really good black Baptist church and even like each other. At times, you know, and, and at times it was harder to fight that than others because at certain times they didn't like each other and then at certain times there was revival and they did like each other. But let me be clear that there is no black heaven. There is no white heaven. And so we will spend eternity together as those created by God to worship him forever. And so, I don't know, there's probably 40 people here today. And we have an opportunity when we leave here to be the character of Christ in Gates County and beyond. And what we say and what we do bespeaks his majesty. And so let us not be dumb. Let us be like Christ. And, and what I mean by this is it is easy, it is easy to be drawn into a fray. And I see it. And if you make a comment about anything, somebody's going to respond, so what you're saying is, or so you hate somebody, or you don't hate this person, but you should hate this, or you should hate that person, or I hate this person, so you should hate them too, and if not, you're a racist, or you're a hater. What is this? Amen. This is what's become of our society. And so, guys, don't join this garbage. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your breath. Don't waste your time. And if you do join in this stuff, and you do truly hate somebody that God created, confess your sin. Because God called us to lead every white person, every black person, and every other person to him. And how can we do that when in our hearts we hate somebody? Preach. And so, let us learn from the prophets. They live their entire lives being hated by most people. But they didn't care because they were loved by the one who created them. And they were willing to live their lives and even give their lives up for the sake of the cross. They walked in the presence of God. The most important time in their lives was the time that no one else saw. They declared the word of God. They were utterly dependent on God's power. And the power of prayer is useless, but the power of people connected with Almighty God is unstoppable. They were utterly devoted to God's mission. 
They took God-sized risks and expected God-sized results. They glimpsed the glory of God. They experienced His grace in ways they did not deserve. They beheld His glory in ways they did not expect. They trusted the promise of God, and they knew that this world was not their home, and they lived looking forward. This should be us. This should be you and me as Christians. And so we must focus on our time with God. Every day, are we focusing on our time with God and finding our strength in solitude with God? Or are we joining in and being watered-down Pharisees and ignoring our mission to lead every person to Christ? I think it's time. If now is not the time to pray for our country, I don't know when there is a time to pray for our country. That's right. And there have been several times recently where I <clears throat> I look at Joyce and say, this country's going down. And as a Christian, I define myself, I am a, a Christian that happens to be an American. I am not an American that has, happens to be a Christian. And there is a difference. And, and quite honestly, that is how America became America. Because there were Christians who happened to be English who wanted to be Christians first. And so found a place where they could be Christians first. And so I want to call you prayer. Pray for our country. And we're going to do that today, of course. But I want you to pray and consistently pray that God's hand would awaken our country and bring a revival. And if there is not a revival, I believe that this country is going down. And we can look at Israel and how when they turned their backs on God, when they turned away mm -hmm. from truth, they went down. That's right. Our country decided to turn away from truth. And the absolute truth has eroded in this country to the point where if you claim absolute truth, you are looked at politically as an idiot, intellectually as an idiot, but God's truth is true no matter if no one believes it but you. That's right. And That's so right. let us go forward in this day and in this time and be the salt and the light. Mm -hmm. And be a balm that heals as Jeremiah spoke of. But also in Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah... God blasts them. And he says, you claim peace, peace, when there is no peace. We live in a country that, that says they long for peace. But our country does not want the Prince of Peace. And so we want 
the greatest thing is love, but we refuse the God of love. And so if you look at this, our country cannot survive without him. Our country cannot be at peace without the Prince of Peace. Our country cannot love when we choose to define love without the one who is love. And so let us not fall asleep at the wheel and wake up and not be a part of the garbage and let us pray, be on our knees, be on our faces and let us weep for the lives that God has created that men does, do not hold in high regard, whether there be black lives or whether there be unborn lives or Amen. whether they be Christian lives. God made us, and he did not make us to be fat, <laughs> selfish, happy Americans. He made us to give our lives for his worship forever. And so I want to just spend this moment hopefully realigning who we are, because all week, your friends, the media, social media, cries out to you to help you define who you are and what your response should be. But I just want to bring you back to the words and who we are when the TV goes off and before the TV was ever invented and a million years into the future, the absolute truth of God's word. And so let us hold on. And charge hell with a water pistol if we have to, with Christ empowering us to make disciples. Because we make disciples who make disciples, no matter if it's easy, no matter if it's popular, no matter if it looks likely or impossible, no matter if it leads to our death, we are called to make disciples. Amen? So would you join me in praying for our country that God would, would lead us to be who he has called us to be? Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And Lord, we are embarrassed for what our country has stood for, for what our country now stands for and perhaps even for what our country stands against. God, we don't want to be just Americans. And Lord, we're proud historically to be Americans, but, but not at the expense of being yours. God, we pray that you would wake our country up and not allow sin to divide us, not allow Satan to divide us, but help us to see the real enemy is sin. The real enemy is Satan leading us to destroy your creation. Leading us to take our eyes off of you and bring glory to ourself or our stuff or our ideals. But Lord, I pray that there's 40 people here disagree with what's going on in our world and are refocusing our hearts on you and refusing to be drawn into useless things and waste our lives when disciples will not be made 
instead disciples will be killed and not even reported that no one will even notice until one day there's one prophet standing against 850 others when all others have been killed and no one will care and he will be the oddball God show your power pour out your power among us show us our own sin soften our hearts so that we see into ourselves and are brought to our knees for our own sin and then we stand for the cross we stand in the power of the cross to make disciples of the world that we do show love but love is defined by you and not the adulterated definition of love that's being sold to the highest bidder today God I pray that this church would be seen as a church that truly loves all people and that we love every person in this county and those around us because we want them to know Christ like we know Christ. Father, help us to define ourselves by your definition. That we are lost without you. And no matter the color of our skin, that we are everyone damned to hell if it were not for the love of Christ on a cruel cross at the hands of men. And so, Lord, we give you glory. And we pray that you would lead us, lead us to the action that, that you want us to take. Show us what that is. Show us what it looks like to be a Christian in Gates County in 2020. Help us look to your word and be influenced by you and not the world around you. And Lord, we give you the glory for this. And Lord, as we worship you, help us to see the actions that we personally need to take and to have the guts to do it and that you would give us the strength, the boldness to do what we need to do. And even during this song that we set aside for an invitation, invite us to your truth. Invite us to, to follow you and not be wimp, but stand on your word and follow you. To not be beaten down by the world and not be influenced by the world, but to follow you regardless of the cost. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, guys. It is great to see you. It is wonderful to be together. And I look forward to it. Stay tuned for next week. The way we are getting together now, it works really well. It's really safe. And we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see when we go back inside. But... The Facebook page has been a great communicator, and then I noticed that some who are on Facebook communicate with those who are not on Facebook, and that works really well as far as I have heard, and so keep the word going around, and we are going to...
continue to worship together, and I'm grateful for that. And continue to be the church. I think it is awesome that during this time that we are outside the building, further showing us, keeping in our minds that as the church, we are the bride of Christ. We are not the building. And so let us continue to be the church. And so we're thankful for you. We're thankful for God leading us in this time. And so I want to pray, and then we will close with worship, and we'll see you next week. Father, we thank you for loving us. And the more real we are with ourselves, the more we're blown away with the fact that you do love us. Because we know that you know us better than we know ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow each one of us in our relationship with you. Father, don't let this society make us wimpy Christians. And don't let us make excuses. But, Lord, rescue us, even if it's from ourselves. Grow us to be more like you. Father, I'm so thankful for this faith family, for this body of believers. And Lord, I pray that you would do something special with us for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.